All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Average Sean Podcast. Uh, if this episode sounds a little bit different on my end, I am trying out a new mic. I'll be toying around with the settings of that for a little bit. So if it sounds any different than usual, if it sounds better or worse, whatever, I appreciate your guys' patience. Uh, with that out of the way, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. I'm, I'm getting all these alerts from uh, what the weather down in Baltimore. Not not happening. Apparently, Ellicott City is in a, a little bit of a pickle again with some water. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's it's disheartening because it's old Ellicott City and they're always in a pickle with water because their drainage system got messed up uh, by some people who redeveloped the city. It's disappointing because, you know, historic Ellicott City is, is a pretty nice town. You always want to see it kept in shape. But at this point, if Gordon Ramsay can't save it uh, <laughs> when, when he did an episode of I think it was like what Kitchen Nightmares here. Something. I, Didn't he try opening a restaurant down there? Or there yeah, was talks of him? Something like that. I, I know that he came down here and, you know, definitely fixed up a couple places. Uh, but it, it's one of those where you sit there and go like, all right, uh, unless the city decides to like almost revert back to the old drainage system, which they never will because politicians never want to admit that they're wrong. I'll leave the politics out of this other than that. Uh, but it, it's just going to keep being a problem. So... I don't know. Um, and actually, I was going to lead something or we were going to lead off on one thing, but I, I just saw something come across the wire that neither Chris nor I were prepared for. But oh it's a question that came right to mind as soon as I saw this. Cooper Cup just agreed to a three year, $80 million extension. Where are, is the Ram organization getting this money? Yeah, actually, I saw this a few minutes ago before we we hit, we hit the record button. Um, yeah, Rams are apparently loaded. And also, can we just like acknowledge that the salary cap in the NFL doesn't really matter? <laughs> oh, no, it, it's completely made up. But the craziest part about this is realizing that the Rams are literally just dishing out money because they just made Aaron Donald the highest paid non-quarterback in the league. So literally every other position other than quarterback, he is your highest paid dude across the board. Then you add the Cooper Cup thing on it. And granted, don't get me wrong. I was expecting him to get paid. But the craziest thing about this is the quick reminder that they're making the rest of the league pony up the money that paid for their move from St. Louis to L.A. So they're not paying for their move and they're shelling out insane amounts of dough for their um uh for their players and you gotta be sitting there going like all right all these other 31 owners in the league have got to be looking at this with just going like dude what the hell uh yeah i don't even know what to say i i personally and i know that this is always going to be the case until the day i die until the, the day that these leagues cease to exist which hopefully is never but one day maybe they they won't exist you get people that just manipulate these rules constantly and the Rams have somehow found a way to uh, make this move seamless. Um, you know, most, most teams, when they relocate struggle, the Rams have a, well, they've got a shiny finger, a shiny ring on their finger this year and uh, lots of cash in the bank. So they just paid Don Donald. What, what was he two years, $60 million. Yeah, it was something ridiculous, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this just because, I mean, NFL still offseason. It was just something that came across the wire, 
And I think it's particularly crazy. Uh, so I had to mention it right off the top because otherwise I was going to forget about it. But let's move to what we were going to talk about, which is the fact that the Colorado Avalanche, pun absolutely 100% intended, just poured an avalanche on the Oilers. Oil spilled everywhere, whatever you know, ridiculous kind of dad joke you want to make with it. But the avalanche just wrecked Edmonton. The last two games were close and they were entertaining. Uh, game three, I'd say, was probably the most entertaining out of the entire series. But it was something that, you know, you watch the series and you go like, the only reason the scoreboard is, is kind of close here is because this game is in Edmonton, speaking of three and four. Otherwise, this would just be a, like a complete and total dog walking. So in terms of like what you saw, you're our hockey guy. What, what did you take from the series? Dude, the abs loaded they even with the injuries they are the hands down best roster top to bottom left in the playoffs obviously some people would probably argue tampa over them i just i mean dude the abs they had less they've lost less than 25 games this season playoffs and regular season in regulation combined they've only lost two games in the playoffs so far and let's look at both of those two losses one of them was a fluke absolute uh, they lost their focus against the blues give the blues credits came back and won it in overtime and the other one uh, they outplayed the blues completely ended up losing that but they swept nashville swept edmonton i mean edmonton i've been saying it all along obviously mcjesus that only lasts so long he's a beast i mean he's he's a freak um i just Edmonton's not built for the playoffs. Um, Mike Smith is Mike Smith. Um, he He's great when he's on, but y- you can tell that he just goes through these 10-minute stretches where he is not focused at all. And in those 10-minute stretches, he'll give up three goals, you know. Well, create... was it like an eight-minute span that he did that? And what was it, game three, I think? Yeah, I mean, but then the rest of the game, he's flawless and making like crazy saves. I mean, and and he's he's obviously he's had a very good career. But a lot of people forget that he was kind of a journeyman, started in Tampa. His the prime of his career um, was with the uh, the the Coyotes. Um, he got he took them basically. I don't want to say single handedly, but he took a, a mediocre uh, Coyotes team all the way to the Western Conference Finals in 2012. Um, that that's crazy considering they haven't been any further than that in their in the history of their organization. Um, but Mike Smith was amazing. Obviously biz was on that team and he gives them sh- props all the time um, on chicklets. <sighs> I, I don't know what to say, man. I I'm worried about the avalanche having so much time off <laughs> to be completely honest. I was hoping that Edmonton would sneak out that, that overtime win just so that the avalanche had to stay focused for two more days. Um, and to be honest, the Avs, I don't want to say they have a team of destiny feel to them. If anything, I'll say the Rangers have that, though knock on wood, I would much rather see the Avalanche win. Um, Wouldn't we all? I, yeah. Um, I just, it's been the past three years, the Avs have had a, a very good to elite roster, and they've always had something weird happen, whether it's COVID and the, and the, the shutdown, and then they go into the bubble 
they deal with injuries. They lose their, I believe they were, they ended up playing their third string goalie in the bubble at one point, um, ended up losing to Dallas, who ended up going to the cup final that year. Um, last year, just laying an egg basically in the second round, kind of, you know, reminiscent of the Caps um, back in the day. But it, once again, I the Caps dealt with it for a much longer, you know, period and basically a decade plus. Um, so I, I just, I, it's hard to, to not bring this up, but I believe it was the 2015 Colorado Avalanche. Hold on one second. I'm, I'm going to get my date right on this. Well, while, while you're doing that, a couple quick notes from my side. Uh, one, I'm sure most people have seen it by now if they're listening to this because the Spit and Chick- Chicklets podcast is wildly more popular than this one. Uh, but the haircut that Biz had to get <laughs> from Whitney and then the side-by-side shots of him with Wayne Gretzky on the set having completely serious conversations and breakdowns has got to be one of the most hilarious visuals that this world has ever seen. Because, I mean, he looks like... like I want to say like a character, and most people will take that as like, you know, just kind of like an outlandish-looking dude, but like every sense of like, you know, somebody <laughs> created this character in their mind to the point where like, Yes, it exists because you're seeing it, but you don't ever actually think someone like this exists in the real world. Like he looked like that kind of a character. <laughs> My question is how long do you think he's keeping it? So he made the bet with Whitney that he has to keep it for at least a week. So from the day that he got it, he had to keep it on for a week. So I believe that he was on air with it for game four. And then I think after that, he's allowed to shave off the side and the back. So I think once that week's done, he's going to go clean shaven and then just grow back to normal. Mm. But- Crazy. So I, I'm going to going to pull it back here for a second. I think um, a handful of years ago, Joe Sackick, obviously NHL legend, Avalanche legend, um, Nordiques legend at that, um, took over as the GM of, of the Avalanche. And in that process, he, he offloaded a lot of players that have gone on to win cups. Ryan O'Reilly, um, Matt, du- well, Matt Duchesne hasn't won a cup, but he's been to a cup with Nashville um, and, and other notables o- along the way. Then in 2016, 2017, they put up one of the worst records of all time. They finished the full 82 game season with 48 points. To put that in the comparison, the, uh, the Montreal Canadiens had the worst record this year with 55 points. That's pretty bad. That is 22 wins in 82 games with a handful of guys that are on the team right now. So uh, people laughed at Sackick for the moves he made. Dude, I mean, he has, when fully healthy, easily the best roster in the league. We've been basically saying that all season. Um I worry that they had they had they're gonna have a week and a half off between games, minimum, possibly more than that. And on top of that, they're a young team that has a coach that's never been there either. Um, I we gotta wait and see, but the, they are an absolute wagon right now. I can tell you that Tampa nor the Rangers want to play the Avalanche right now. <laughs> No, I mean, cer- certainly not. Um, 
so continuing on like the little notes and everything that I had, um, Colorado definitely looks like a wagon all the way through. Uh, I think with the love that he's getting nationally, some people could actually kind of say that uh, Kale McCarr, to your point, who you love him, I would love to say that I love him to the same level as you do, but I have to give you credit for being the original guy on him. So I'm not going to say that you and I are on the same level because you were there first. Uh, But I would say that overall, offensively, Nathan McKinnon is a better player. Obviously, Kale McCarr is a defenseman for a reason. However, people are kind of like throwing flowers on the on McCarr's feet to the point where I think some people could legitimately like suddenly think like, is McCarr the best player on this team? And you're like, no, uh, offensively, it's still like guys like McKinnon, Uh, but he's been getting so much love publicly. And admittedly, that's kind of fun uh, for a guy who when I actively played sports, I was definitely a defensive guy overall else. Uh, so I kind of have a special place in my heart for defensemen, but you know, he's getting a ton of love. Um, all of your, I don't want to call them rants because they were still like accurate. And I feel like rants are kind of a little bit outlandish, but your, you know, soliloquies about Evander Kane being an absolute scumbag. Uh, those were proven to be even more correct after his play on the Zin Kadri. Uh, Kadri was out for the rest of the series. And that leads me to this one note, and it's going to help us transition into the other series. Yes, the long layoff is, I think, bad in the sense of rust, but it's also, in a way, really good because that's giving them the best chance to get Kadri back. So while overall you and I would probably say that the Avs want this Tampa-New York series to end as quickly as possible... At the same time, the more days of rest, the, the more you get a guy who's completely integral to the way that your team plays back on the roster. So it's kind of a double-edged sword here of, you know, do, do you get the rust and do you get one of your best guys back? Or do you play a couple games without, you know, the possibility of getting your best guy back uh, for the sake of shaking off rust? I, I don't know. And I'm going to use that as a way to kind of slide into – Initially, my thought is you want to play the game sooner because we saw with Tampa Bay going against the Rangers, they dropped the first two and they had a nine day or eight or nine day layoff. So they looked rusty as hell against New York for the first couple of games, especially game one. I mean, I I don't think I've seen Vasilevsky look that bad in a playoff game his entire career. Uh, You know, obviously he hadn't given up the back to back losses until just recently. But just on like an individual standalone thing, I don't think I've ever seen him look that much like a piece uh, piece of Swiss cheese. But then they come back, you know, they get the two games to shake off the rust, and then they start to look like Tampa of old. So uh, this is this series is turning out to be a lot more fun than I initially gave it credit for. That's really kind of where I'm going to lead with this. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vasilevsky has not looked this bad at at all in his career. <laughs> <laughs> in a back-to-back, he had – I forget how many um, games it had been. Coming off of a playoff loss, Tampa had some crazy record that they hadn't – that they, they hadn't lost back-to-back playoff games in, I want to say, like 15 playoff series or something like that. I want to say that he was like 16-0 coming off of a loss. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, and so uh, – Obviously, Tampa started rusty. I think that there's there's a bit more um, 
bit more hockey chess work going on here. So obviously something that, that makes hockey really unique um, is that the home team gets the last line change, right? So this doesn't really get talked about. You hear all the time in football that, okay, yeah, the 12th man type of thing. And obviously the crowd impacts a lot as we've noticed over the past two years of not really having much in the way of crowds. But what makes hockey so unique in the, having this last change is me, means that the home team automatically kind of has a little bit of an edge because they get to throw the line that they want out there. And in the playoffs, it becomes a giant chess match against what line specifically. Um, I get, The easiest way to see it is off of face-offs, but even in, in just raw rolling action, um, New York won the first two, two, two games. So they had the last line change. You can am- amount that to Vasilevsky not being elite, Tampa being rusty, also, New York's getting the line changes that they want. They go down to Tampa. Tampa starts playing a little bit better. And notably last night, what was the final? 4-1? 3-1? 1 I believe. Yeah. And, um, man, John Cooper rolling out a, a line of Sorelli and Palat against the, the Zibanejad line. Panarin scored a goal. But it was, a, it was a, basically a, a trash goal at that point. And that line that had been ridiculous the first three games of the series for New York was completely shut down. And that's a line that that Cooper has not – he basically had to patchwork that together, but he found a matchup that he wants. So what's going to be really interesting is that so far we have not had a single away team win a game. One of them is going to have to – well, I shouldn't say one of them is going to have to because New York could obviously sweep the home series – and and win but pay attention to that moving forward because this is why coaches get paid this is why coaches are valued so much john cooper's been through this before and i don't want to say gallant hasn't been but gallant's no notably stubborn with switching his playoff his lines as a whole right he's he doesn't put them in a blender he's he sticks with the lines that he has that's what really burned him against the caps when he was the coach for the for vegas in the finals um which i i get it you know this is these are the line pairings that got you to this point so you stick with them but at the same time obviously you're seeing cooper is kind of patchworking this together um i will also say that the the rangers are notably faster um which could come back to hurt them um big time and i will say without shesterkin the rangers are not here igor is a freaking monster (laughs) oh yeah i mean there's a reason why the rangers fans were chanting that igor is better uh, I think it was like game one that they were chanting that in or, or two. Either either way, they were chanting it. But that's that's something where you know at that point, and you you kind of said like maybe Vasilevsky isn't elite. I don't know if you were saying that as like other people's opinions or yours, but honestly, that's how you know that Vasilevsky is elite is when the other team's fans have to go out of their way to say, hey, this other dude that we have is better than you because unless you're elite, people don't care about you. So, I mean, Vasilevsky has been an absolute monster in the cage. And, I mean, I guess maybe hockey goalies call it the cage. I'm so used to calling it that because of lacrosse. <laughs> but either way, he's he's been an absolute monster. I mean, the fact that it took this long for him to lose back-to-back games is incredible. Because, you know, you just think about how many good teams has he come up against. And they just haven't beat them. Twice. So... Yeah. 
and that that part's crazy but you know it's it really is going back to our original thing kind of weird looking at it going you know all right you're right no road team has won a game yet but tampa looked like they had been almost off for a month when they came back and they kind of got it back together in game two barely you know one and i think they scored like 48 seconds left in game three then they clearly to win at this stage of the game right but they clearly dust them in game four so it almost looks like the entire trend is like extremely new york rangers and just like pendulum swinging all the way back to tampa and at this point i don't know if the pendulum swings back towards the rangers Mm. you know you have to think about like you've got the two-time defending champs you have them on the ropes 2-0 then you're up 2-0 in game three and then you all of a sudden lose that game so now you go from being up 2-0 in the series and up 2-0 on the scoreboard to being tied 2-2 i mean you're yes you're saying that they have a team of destiny vibe but i think the rangers do just because they've gotten this far (laughs) right but does the team of destiny fall short because you know the evil empire is essentially back now like it, yeah hey they uh they gather the scraps of the first death star that were kind of blown apart by their rest and then they put it back together and now since game three and game four it, that thing is fully operational and new york looks like they are ready to get alderaan it'll be interesting I, I i will say there's one thing that can really flip a switch of a series and his name is igor he yeah. can steal the game. I mean, and I, there's also obviously, you know, my, my goal is better than yours. There's, we have to remember that, especially the Russian pride coming in here. Like they're both Russian prospects, obviously. Um, and so there, there's more, there's more to this, this battle, if we want to call it that, um, than just meets the eye. Right. It's there, there's some, some, some heritage pride going on here. Um, uh, yeah, I, I personally, I and I and I, I feel like I need to get struck by lightning for saying this because I, I, I wish the refs could win this series, but I, I kind of want to see Tampa win. Uh, was there <laughs> a pun intended with that being struck by lightning? Huh. Huh. Now I'm calling you on it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this this also kind of goes like to me. It, it's even more interesting because you add another layer to this. If Tampa really does what I think they are probably going to do and have that pendulum stay on their side they beat the rangers they go to the stanley cup does colorado do the same thing in the stanley cup that tampa just did in the conference finals because of their layoff well so there it's interesting so i i'm i'm here dwelling about the rest i'm i'm worried about the rest however there's one thing that colorado has that no other team has they get to train they get to train at altitude that that's fair and i i do kind of you know let that thing kind of slide off whenever i think about colorado but it, is that thing. is that a good or a bad thing going into the finals though um i think if anything it'll keep them more game ready um and it, I mean, it'll be a disadvantage for whoever comes out of the East. I'll say that much. Yeah. 
I, that doesn't get talked about a lot for hockey, but I guarantee you in the finals it will be talked about by the announcer who's ever calling the game. Obviously, it gets talked about a lot in football, and you see the guys go over and they're you know sure. inhaling. It's it's like that in hockey too, but they I mean, don't it's, use it's, air on the, the sidelines. It's on, clearly on big in it's big in baseball too because the Rocky pitchers and whoever goes there always get shelled, but. I guess in terms of like training, it's it's hard for me to fully understand what me too. <laughs> what effect that has because I haven't been to Denver, so I don't know what the difference in the air feels like. Obviously, it gets talked about so much. There is clear there has vol- to be some truth. There's clear validity to it. I'm not questioning it. I'm just saying, like in terms of you know measurables, I still don't know if the training at altitude is enough to make up for you know, the fact that the Rangers and the Lightning are getting actual games in right now. I, oh, I get- 100%. It's a mental thing at this point. These are world-class athletes. They've been playing hockey intensely for eight months at this point. Right. I will also say that the when it comes to this, at least so far with these playoffs, it doesn't seem like there has been any crazy, like, ref shows that go on where they look like they're you know primed to take center stage you you mentioned you want the refs to win uh but they've been kind of low-key so far and with world-class athletes that's obviously important but where it's more important and what we definitely witnessed in the last week is the refs or in this case umps in the college world series have been just terrible so far and it has taken what is wildly granted i have never really paid close attention to the college world series before this year and the only reason i was paying attention to it was because maryland was in the tournament i am a maryland fan again take my bias with whatever grain of salt you want it to be but they have been just just bad like i I don't have an adjective strong enough to describe it and it all kind of came to a head with the maryland yukon game that was going to decide the winner of their regional when if you haven't seen it i don't know how you haven't but a maryland player is running down the line towards first base he hits the bag then hits the guy who's on first base while he's doing that the pitcher or second baseman is in foul territory trying to throw a ball to the first baseman in order to get the runner out it's kind of hard to picture it in your head unless you can see it but there's a huge spot of controversy because The Maryland runner was called out for fielder interference. And because he was called out and because it was a fielder interference call, you, and I just learned this, you can't advance runners in that situation. So they had a guy who was on third who scored during that play, but they took him back to third, took the run off the board, gave Maryland another out, their next batter promptly flied out to end the inning, and that completely shifted the way the rest of the game was played. Now, asterisk, an inning or two later, the ump that made the awful call on the Maryland player did also make a terrible call on a UConn batter. I know I'm ranting on this, but I just want to make it clear. like He was bad for both teams in key situations. The only difference was when Maryland went to, you know, ask for a review of the runner interference, whoever the powers may be upheld that call, in my opinion, stupidly. Uh, But then with the UConn player, they, in my opinion, 
correctly overturned what was a terrible call. So I told you to look up the play before we recorded. Uh, I was not in the room when you looked it up. I did not ask you your opinion before we hit record. So now when you saw the play, I'm assuming you found it. What were your thoughts on this? Uh, I want to know. I, I, that's my exact thought for the, the ump the, in, in that situation. What, what is going through his head to do that? That doesn't happen at the high school level. doesn't happen at the pro level. Why is it happening at the NCAA level? <laughs> like, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I will say that this, this conversation, um, obviously refs get the short end of the stick all the time across the board. Refs, ump, whatever we're talking about. Um, it, it does make you really value, like we're watching the MLB games, um, that in these key moments, they typically get it right with this. They miss things, and I, I have a little aside that I, I cut, or a, a side slash plug, um, social media plug that that I I, I want to mention. But um, yeah, I I think you were the one that actually tweeted ten years ago. UMD would be rioting. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I commented a couple times. I was like, if this happened in the ninth inning, we would have an 0-2 Maryland's men's basketball national champ type of ride on our hands. Right. I mean, ninth inning or not, that was a crucial play to the game. Yeah. It it goes without saying. I mean, it really did shift the entire way that the game was played. And so I would wonder, are these umps – officiating any games moving forward have we I would, heard i would imagine that they are but honestly once maryland was out i was like oh cool a reason to stop paying attention to this sweet <laughs> yeah i i'm pretty sure towson was it was in it a few years ago uh they may have been but heck if i know i so so with all that being said an interesting follow uh, I'm not, I, we've never talked about this before. So on Twitter, there's an account. It's run by a bunch of college students. Um, it's called the umpire scorecards at ump scorecards. Pretty simple. Um, it has a lot of followers over 250,000 followers and every MLB game, they give um, an actual report card for the ump um, that game. So with balls and strikes it, it, and, and they, they give like a list of impactful missed calls and they kind of, they quantify how it helped or hurt a certain team every game. And I mean, when you think about it, that's a lot of, what is how many games is that per night? 16. Yeah. Just about give and take, you know, if, if, if it's a random Monday and you know, some teams have a travel day or whatever, they're putting a lot of work into this and it is very, very, very well done um definitely worth a follow um i would love to know what the scorecard would have said for that umd game (laughs) i mean truthfully though i I would be concerned that the scorecard would be too lenient because when they called in for the review for the maryland play they upheld it so and let me real quick say the reason why he was called out for runners interference was because as he's running to first base there is the foul line And then there's like a a line that creates like a little box in foul territory that is supposedly the runner's lane. He is supposed to be within that box as he's running to first base. There's one major factor that's a big problem with this, though, and it's that that box is in foul territory. The first base bag is in fair territory. Now, I am 
wildly unathletic compared to this kid who was running this play out. But whether it's my unathletic ass trying to get to first base or some dude who's wickedly talented in comparison to me, you got to imagine that with the play, it's a chopper down the first baseline. You have to imagine that his whole goal is just give me the shortest, straightest path to first base because uh, like the throw came from behind him. So unless this dude has eyes in his head or the first baseman was wearing a mirror, there was no way for him to know where the throw was coming from in order to deviate his path to get in the way or to cause a problem for the first baseman. The throw was that bad. The first baseman had no play on it. And I also like when you're watching him run down and you watch the initial play, the umpire calls him safe. So the umpire who is closest to the play waves safe as his initial call. So as the umpire is watching him run down the first baseline, he doesn't see anything that constitutes in the heat of the action runners interference, because it's clear that this kid's intent is to get from point A to point B in the quickest manner possible. Now, you can say that judging intent is a gray area, and yes, it is. So some people are saying, you know, he got in the way of the throw, whatever, like his intention was to mess it up. First of all, you're stupid. Second of all, you're wrong. <laughs> um, that there's, there's nothing gray about that. It's black and white. You can judge that intent clearly. But the whole crux of this argument comes from the fact that he's not in the runner's lane. And I will say this by the definition of the word incorrect, this was not an incorrect call. However, from a sense of common sense, this was incorrect because even if this is in the rule book, I mean, refs make bad, like they mess up calls all the time. So it's not like, you know, they're a robot that is able to determine something by the letter of the law at every single given second. In my opinion, you have the leeway especially if you're making this as like a secondary call to the initial safe call, you have the leeway to be like, dude, he's trying to get to first as quickly as he can. And he's doing nothing outlandish on his way to get there. Why would I call him out? Like normally people could say like mob mentality, you know, everyone who's online saying that this is an awful call. It like, Oh, it's just like, it's the easy way to go to say that this was a terrible call, et cetera, et cetera. However, in this instance, I'm going to say having the mob mentality is showing just how dumb everything is. Because unless you're a UConn fan, and let me be clear, I <laughs> do not blame UConn fans for defending this call at all. It benefited their team by the exact textbook definition of it. The correct call was made. I will admit that. And, I'm, and seriously, I'm not going to blame somebody for defending their team unless they're like a Cowboys or a Duke fan, because, I mean, you're defending the Cowboys or Duke at that point. You have no soul. But, <laughs> you know, it's you forgot that the Yankees in that sentence. Fair. Um, but the only other people who are defending this call are absolute nerds. And these are the people who are like sitting at home. Like these are the same people who five, ten years ago when they were allowed to do this. We're calling into PGA tournaments, reporting ball violations that they witnessed on their TV screen 
that a rules official didn't see and costing players strokes because of it. Like you're a nerd, you have no life. You have dove, like you have dove way too deep into the rule book and you take things way too damn literally and you need some common sense whacked into you because if it was a Yukon player who was on the other side, I promise you I'm making the same argument that, you know, sure. Well, I'd be happy that Maryland won or they got the benefit of it. Yes, absolutely. But I consider myself to be reasonable enough and not fanatical enough to the point where I can recognize when a bad call is made in the favor of Maryland's opposition, unless you're Duke. At that point, I don't care. I hate you. Every rule should go against you. But when it's a team like UConn, I have no ill will towards UConn or their fan base or anyone involved in them. But that, like that, that's why you know that bad hit by pitch call that they tried to do on the UConn player. That was a bad call. And you can check my Twitter timeline. I clearly put it out there that the ump was trying to do a makeup call to blow it back to kind of like even the scales. And he just wasn't allowed to by the people at their review office or wherever it was. But while the letter of the law was correct, when something violates common sense to this extreme of a degree, it is then turned from correct to incorrect. And I get that you could say, you know, wrong instead of incorrect, but no, it violates common sense so much it makes the call incorrect and you're not going to convince me otherwise. Again, doesn't matter if it's Maryland, doesn't matter if it's Yukon, doesn't matter if it's Coastal Carolina. The call was incorrect and it was ridiculously dumb that they made it. Man, we need some, uh, some RTD uh, sprinkled on this conversation. You know, one day you're going to actually remember to call them RDT as opposed to oh RTD. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, and I, I – uh, as I'm looking at it, he just tweeted 13 seconds ago. RDT. Yeah. Go me. Be, be mindful. That is also the Dozen Trivia Competition's most lethal free agent, RDT. If, uh, if, you, ever watch, if you ever watch the trivia show when he's on there, dude is lethal. It's damn. it's really fun to watch. I mean, partially because I'm like, I talk I talk to him occasionally, and he's a really nice guy, but also just because he's really good. How's your uh, trivia streak going? Didn't you win it a few weeks ago with those BlackBerry wings? Well, see now that yes, uh, now that uh, Studio Sean has come about. Unfortunately, yeah. Studio Sean uh, is his class schedule conflicts with the trivia schedule, so. Studio Sean can't go to trivia anymore. So it, it's been a minute since I've been to the bar to play trivia. Uh, but you're just studying for more trivia. <laughs> sure. One, one day they'll bring up, you know, teaching theories and they'll bring up BF Skinner and I'll be able to pull that one out of my ass. <laughs> so we'll, we'll wrap the College World Series up there. A, a quick note about it, though. Continuing the ump show, there was a play in the East Carolina game where uh, I think it was East Carolina. The, a player hits a home run and he's admiring his hit, you know, as it's going out of the ballpark. And the ump comes up behind him and like yells at him to get it moving and to like not enjoy it. Dude, what a buzzkill. Like, let the kid have his fun. Why do you have to make this all about you and tell the kid to keep it moving? Like, just, so I, just let him I admire it. 
I'd be curious, um, and you might not know, um, especially with watching on TV. Um, I'll be honest, you know, the, the NCAA baseball I've seen this year, um, besides from our few random clicks on ESPN plus, um, I really haven't been watching. Are, are they on a pitch count? I'm um, not pitch count. Um, a pitch clock between plays. Uh, I actually, I don't know if they are, but I, I have noticed that the pace of college pitches is a lot faster than major league. Yeah. So the only, the, the reason I ask is because obviously they try MLB tries, um, new rules out with the minors. And then I would assume NCAA, um, just because it's basically, um, uh, I, I, don't want to make that assumption just because they're two completely separate governing bodies, but it, it does seem like a reasonable conclusion to draw. Yeah, well, because so it's it's so rare that guys go from NCAA directly to the MLB, which is actually like nearly impossible, just because they are so different games. Um, so minor leagues are currently all on pitch clocks. So between the play, so after the ball is hit, depending on if there's a runner on base or not. Um, I believe it's 14 seconds versus 17 seconds. If there's 14 seconds for no one on base, 17 if there is someone on base, so they can vary up in with a pick out pickoffs and whatnot for for you know base runners. Um, I wonder if that's why. Not that that was brought up in the argument against this, uh, man. Especially it's the postseason. I guess it's not the World Series yet, but just, I mean, let the dude admire his hit. That should not, if that was the reason, that needs to be changed. <laughs> just let them, you know, let it, them it, enjoy it. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's absolutely an ego thing, and I couldn't be told otherwise just because well, it's it's such an egregious offense that it, it, unless you're seeing it in every single game and you're not, I mean, players are hitting home runs, and if you watch the Tennessee men like baseball team, I don't know why I said men's because they changed the name between baseball and softball. But if you watch the Tennessee team, they're a bunch of assholes and they're total heels. Like a dude was literally flipping off an outfielder while he was running around the bases. And if they're not going to get an umpire behind them, pushing them along for essentially pimping a home run, then this to me screams egotistical dude in an isolated incident. That's a, it's not so isolated because I just remembered it. It, <laughs> it also, not to belabor the point, also happened in a Maryland game to a Maryland player, but I'm not really going to dive too deep into that one because I haven't seen that clip. But it, it's it's so bad. Um, let, let's get off of that because I, I'm, I'm actually not becoming irrationally angry over that. And, and I'm not a baseball fan. I'm just, you know, well, not a huge baseball fan. I do enjoy the sport. But it's making me irrationally angry because of the level of stupidity. Not even so necessarily. So now we're going to the opposite of baseball, right? <sighs> sure. <laughs> um, I personally will not call it the opposite of baseball because it, we're going to move to the PLL for some news and notes. And that's what Chris was setting me up for. Uh, I am trying to take the mindset that lacrosse is not the exact opposite of baseball because there is a kind of stereotypical rivalry between baseball and lacrosse because they are played during the same season typically uh, however i am trying to kind of fight that stereotype because you know if you're a lacrosse guy and you're a fan of the sport your goal should be to just want people to enjoy the game you shouldn't want to like you know have them almost kind of sacrifice their fandom of another game 
in order to get them to join your fandom of your sport. So if I, you know, know somebody who is a baseball fan and I have done this uh, both publicly and like online settings, privately, wherever, if you, you know, say, Hey, I'm not a lacrosse guy or something like that. I will tell them be like, look, if we go to a bar or somewhere and sit down and watch a game, I will buy you a round or something like that. If we watch a game and you just promise to watch it with an open mind, I'm not asking you to say you have to enjoy it at the end. I'm just saying, come watch a game with me. If it's not for you, it's not for you. But if you watch it and you start to get interested and you start asking me questions, I will more than happily sit there and answer them for you because I don't really care what your other fandoms are. I'm not trying to take you away from those. I'm just hoping to, to spread the enjoyment of what I think is an excellent game that like that much more. So I think the people who get way too caught up in that are actually being a detriment primarily to lacrosse because it's not as popular as baseball. But I think both sides of the argument there are really just kind of costing themselves the opportunity to enjoy both sports. And it's, it's really a shame to see. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. We've had some, uh, well, I, I continue to streak with watching some more lacrosse. Thanks to you. You are quite welcome, sir. Yeah. So I, I was not able to watch the games live. Um, but, uh, had some, some, some free time Monday, um, and was able to, to cycle through, more than I thought that I would get through. I, I watched, uh, I don't know, the first eight minutes of the Water Dogs Cannons game. And let me tell you, Cannons absolutely smacked them to the point where I, like I said, I wasn't able to watch the full game, but I would have guessed the score would have been way more lopsided than, than 16 to 10. Um, you you were like uh, I'm actually I'm trying to think you you recommended the the chaos uh, whip snakes game, which um, or no you might uh, so I, I I did I recommended chaos and whip snakes if you were into more of a defensive game, and then I uh, offered chrome archers because that one had the most drama coming down to the end. Yeah, so I so I started with the water dogs game mainly because I was like and I hadn't even texted Sean yet I was just like. I'm gonna watch one of these, and I was like, "Water Dog sounds cool." And then I realized that their team not really too happening, but I know they have some guys coming off of injury, um, some guys that that missed last year. Um, so then I flipped over to the, the Atlas Redwoods, dude. Atlas, the, the the way they move the ball around compared to Redwoods is pretty nasty. Redwoods just could not get anything going. Um, also Atlas's goalie, once again, I don't know these guys' names, man. Uh, there's probably Jack and Cannon who was in the goal. Yeah. He was rookie of the year last year or something like that. No rookie of the year last year was Jeff T who is their attackman. Did he win like goalie of the year though? They, they said that he won. So, uh, there was some goalie. No. So you're thinking of the chaos game and that was blaze reared and he won the MVP of the league last year. As a goalie. Yep. Holy shit. He, he's, um, that, he's that good. Well, I was surprised. You know, once again, I don't watch that much or I haven't previously watched that much lacrosse. I know the, the I'm going to get struck by lightning because I'm born and raised Marylander. But um, <laughs> I was surprised how, how many liberties he took with just carrying the ball up the field. 
like and far too. Can goalies go the full length of the field? They can. So anyone can go anywhere on the field as long as the field stays balanced. So see, I'm gonna be honest. That to me is has always been the biggest turnoff of the entire thing. Really? Yes, because I'm used to hockey where you can defensemen can jump up in the rush. That's part of the game opposed to like having to, everything to stay balanced. Um, I also don't like that defensemen have to just stop at midfield and then you're basically just stand still. And obviously forwards, it's it, vice versa for forwards. Um, but, you know, whatever. That's that's just a lacrosse thing I need to get used to. But the goalies, how they can just wander, basically go anywhere, that's, that's pretty awesome. But also, like, if you're a defenseman or anyone on the team and your goalie is just, like, taking a run, how are you not shitting your pants? Well, so it, it depends. Um, first of all, the defenseman can go anywhere they want. It really is just about balancing the numbers on the field. So if you're on your offensive side of the field, you have to have a minimum of four players, a maximum or sorry, minimum of three, maximum of six. If you're on the defensive side, you have to have a minimum of four, three defensemen goalie, a maximum of seven. So you can go anywhere you want on the field as long as you're keeping the field balanced based on those numbers. Do you That stand- just seems so complex. It it is and there are offensive penalties that or offensive offsides penalties that come as a result of this. It's not as like cut and dry as like a, a soccer, you know, you have to kick the ball as a pass before you're behind uh, the deepest defenseman. It's not like hockey where, you know, you have to have the puck in the zone before everybody enters. And a lot of it just has to do with the dimensions of the field. But to me, I actually like it because it adds a lot more strategy to it. The more you watch, the more you'll notice, like, the differences that happen with, like, the substitution game and everything because of these rules. I'm not going to do a deep dive on it now, but you'll it's like the game within the game. So the more you watch it, I think – it may never become like an attractive thing to you, but it may become more of a point of interest. Hmm. So with that said, um, my quick kind of takeaways from this past weekend is archers disappointed me. They are my team. Um, They've lost last year. I believe their season ended with a loss to Chrome one point loss, irritating as shit. Uh, They disappointed me with how they familiar. Yes. They disappointed me with how they came out uh, this weekend. They did get it close to the end of the year. Uh, I'm kind of going with undecided about how I feel about what was their biggest problem last year, which was face-offs because they have a rookie this year. Uh, And so one game going up against pro-level talent, uh, Colin Farrell or yeah, yeah, Colin Farrell. I think that's his, no, Connor Farrell. Um, He's the face-off guy for Chrome. He's not, in the top three of face-off guys, but he's like the tier right below them. So with only eight teams in the league, you're, you're really not going to go against an easy matchup, but he's one of those guys that you go up against and go, ah, crap. He's got like a lot of pro experience under his belt. Not an easy thing to come in with your first matchup. So I'm just going to kind of leave him unmarked as a grade for the first game because, you know, it's, it's your first game. I'm not going to fault you for much. Um, Plus he didn't really look, terrible so at that point i'm like hey you look competent so no great because i need to see you get some experience under your belt you don't look awful so you don't look like you're a bad pick but we have yet to determine if you're a good pick yet 
Mm. Um, but they disappointed me. Uh, Atlas coming out of the gates looked like the best team in the league because of, how, like you were saying, how easily they moved the ball. They kind of just controlled the game despite the fact that early on in the game against Redwoods, uh, TD Erland, their faceoff guy, was winning a ton of possessions. Uh, Redwoods, like you said, just couldn't convert. Uh, Atlas offense looks potent as hell. But what I'm actually going to say was my primary takeaway is the fact that despite losing, Chaos are still the team to beat in the league because they are missing so many pieces because of guys who they have still playing in the NLL, uh, for primarily for the Buffalo Bandits, because Buffalo Bandits are basically the chaos of the NLL. Like they're like half their roster is playing for Buffalo. Mm. So the fact that they kept that game so freakishly close, missing several of their top guys, Josh Byrne, Dane Smith, plenty of others. The fact that they kept it that close against the Whip Snakes, who prior to Chaos winning last year were the only champions of the league. That is a scary thought. There's no moral victories, but if you want to look at something and go, I feel damn good about this walking away despite taking an L, you walk away from that game going, damn. So I, I could do a deeper dive on it, but I'll kind of do more throughout the, uh, the, the season. season's young. Exactly. What I will say as a last note, and you'll actually find this as a very interesting thing that will affect how teams play this weekend is a lot of players in the leagues are Canadian and a lot of the rookies or younger players who like just got drafted on the teams, like first time players in the league are having a major issue getting visas to get into mm-hmm. the country. So actually a lot of teams, including the archers faceoff guy who is Canadian, they're going to be without a lot of players because of their issues getting visas. So Archers, you know, they lose a heartbreaker that they should have won. They definitely should have won a lot easier than they did uh, or that, that, than it would have been had they won. But now you're without your rookie faceoff guy who I just said needs to get more experience. That's a monkey wrench worth paying attention to. Faceoffs are important. I mean, just in terms of like who people are losing, uh, basically half of chaos's roster is Canada. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's running jokes around the league that Andy towers, when he does his draft, he's literally just like coloring in the different provinces of of Canada as he's drafting players. Like he, people literally joke that like having an American guy on his roster just guts him on the inside. Cause he, he quote unquote hates American players. Uh, Moving on to another news and note, uh, we'll hit the NBA. Yes, they are in the finals. Yes, most people will think that this would be more of a leading topic. Frankly, Chris and I don't find this series to be very compelling so far. You could say that game one, because Boston had a really nice comeback uh, to win by double digits, was a really fun game. Uh, But Golden State smoked them in game two. They're just, other than Draymond Green being an absolute asshat on the court, there's really... He's a fullback now, right? Yeah, there's like... There's just nothing really that compelling to me coming out of this series. And I'm looking at it, and I mentioned to you before recording that I was going to have a take that early in the playoffs made the playoffs really enjoyable, but now with only two teams left, has actually kind of made it a little bit of a downer. Early in the playoffs, having so much young talent being able to get put on display and also having games every single night 
made it so you know the, the playoffs felt really different without the looming lebron factor you know we're seeing the young superstars who are going to take over as the next generation you're seeing all of them ja anthony edwards jason tatum jalen brown uh luka Doncic, devin booker that like the list goes on but now with only two teams left and one of them being the former evil empire that is golden state i've just kind of lost interest because I don't know when the games are. It's like three days in between each game, even if they're staying in the same city, which is absurd. And, you know, when the games are on, like the, the game tonight didn't start till nine o'clock. Granted, yes, I'm a teacher, so I have to get up a lot earlier than most people do, but I'm not staying up to watch this entire game. Are you kidding me? I, I get why you're doing it so people on the West Coast can watch it, but, you know, you're in Boston. Start the game at seven or start at eight o'clock. Eight o'clock is so much more reasonable than a nine o'clock start on the East Coast. And sure, call me an East Coast bias asshole. I don't care. I'm not staying up to watch this. I'm definitely not. I'll tell you that much. Interesting little caveat, though. They they showed uh, in the pregame. Uh, you probably saw it. It just came across that uh, they the Warriors asked that the uh, maintenance, the court maintenance people, measure the height of their their uh, hoop. I actually didn't see this. What, what is this? So it turns out that the uh, the hoop was like an inch or two taller than it should have been. That seems like a very odd thing to try to give yourself a little home court advantage because doesn't Boston have to shoot on that hoop for two quarters? Yeah, probably not the first and probably I, I don't know. But yeah, it's going around. They, they use this piece of wood to measure it. You'll see. <laughs> Like what? What are they gonna have? What are they gonna do? Have the maintenance guy come out in between quarters and then lower and raise it? Like the fuck? Yeah, I don't know, man. That's <laughs> first of all, if it's an inch, it... weird that you notice that. I mean, these guys play so much. I, I no, guess I, they... of course, but it's still it's it's weird that you notice it, and it's it's also strange that you ask somebody to check it. But then it's like the the ultimate weirdness that it's true. Yeah, ended up being. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to see from the picture. Um, but let me see if I can. Uh, I'll send it to you. But obviously, listeners, you can. Uh, it's all over Twitter. <laughs> that um, okay shows that you know I haven't been on Twitter throughout the show because I had no clue that this happened. That, uh, I got no more analysis on that other than that's just fucking weird. Yeah, and it's hard to see just how much taller it looks like about an inch or so. But the the, the I just sent it your way. The uh, the the piece the ten foot piece of wood that they use mm-hmm. is actually dangling, <laughs> meaning that it's too tall. <laughs> Why? I, I don't know, man. No, I, I know you don't know, and I'm not expecting you to have an answer. It's just, why? <laughs> NBA going to NBA, I guess. I mean, I guess the uh, the line of if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying comes to comes to mind. But this is such a minuscule thing. Like, why? Uh, yeah, like, I who, who is sitting in the Boston offices going, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have our maintenance guys raise the hoop by one inch. And that's really going to throw them off their game. Well, now to be fair, 
I guess we could say that maybe this is just an honest mistake that so happened to happen during the NBA finals. And just so happened to be on Golden State's basket and not, you know, Boston's basket for both of them, for that matter. Yeah, well, so not not to spin this into a whole other thing because I know we're trying to wrap up. There's a a very famous Wayne Gretzky uh, uh, situation involving stick length in the Stanley Cup finals. When he was on the Kings, they were playing, I believe, the Montreal Canadiens. I could be wrong on that. This is in the 80s. Barry Melrose was the the coach. There's some conspiracy theory, but long story short, the Kings coach asked for a stick measurement on one of the players on the Montreal Canadiens randomly in the middle of a game, and it turned out that his stick was too long. He ended up getting ejected. They ended up losing the game, and bada bing, bada boom. That on that led the series to fall into the Kings' lap, basically. So uh, there's some conspiracy theory about how the the stick was possibly switched out. Maybe maybe the NBA is looking for something like that. I don't know. <laughs> That's just weird. I'm really, really weird. I got nothing else for you. So let's just move off of that. Uh, so. It, Again, trying to do things to tweak the podcast, came up with a new idea for this podcast, but not exactly an original idea overall. But I just thought I'd have some fun. Maybe, again, hopefully try to elicit some interaction from people. Uh, Decided to, at the end of each episode, have a trivia question. So this week's trivia question, without diving too much into, you know, why I decided to do this, you can ask me that on the side if you're really so interested. Uh, This week's trivia question is going to be, which NHL team has the longest drought of not making the playoffs? Note to this is that the bubble for the NHL does count. So if you're like Chris and you initially initially think the Arizona Coyotes, uh, because they haven't been in the traditional playoffs for quite a while, uh, they were a part of the bubble. So they, as a part of what I'm looking at, I don't have a way to filter that out. So they are not the answer to this question. So including the teams that made the bubble, what franchise has the longest playoff drought in the NHL? So that is this week's trivia question. Uh, We will start next week's show off with the answer to the trivia question. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, please, when I, you know, post this up on Twitter, uh, you know, put your, put your replies. Um, If you want to reply to this, I can't stop you from looking it up, but try to give me your best guess before you look it up. Uh, you know, I, I think it's just more fun that way. Uh, there, there's no harm in being right or wrong. You, you're not really getting any credit. I, I can't give you a gold star. I can't give you a cookie. I, I, I can't give you any money. But I want a cookie. And uh, we'll ask Rachel to send you some. Ooh, I'll take a cupcake instead. <laughs> uh, but no, just tr- like try to give me your best response and, and see if you can come up with it. Uh, you know, we're, we're about to get to the Stanley Cup. Uh, Chris and I are very clearly more interested in the NHL playoffs than we are NBA. So just seemed like, you know, the, the best sort of trivia question to start off with is, you know, it, ha- have a hockey question. See if you can come up with the answer. Uh, with that said, uh, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, I'll keep this exit brief. We will talk to you guys next week.